0: Father, we come to this passage and we pray to be humble and modest before these words. We want not to just be people who profess a faith in you in name, but we want to be thoroughly changed from the inside out, Father, to reflect your presence not only in our life, but to reflect it in this community and in the world that you have created. And so as we think about this particular aspect of our life, work, We ask you, Father, as we think about it and we look at these passages for you to give us eyes at sea and ears to hear in such a way that we are transformed to your glory and to the blessing of this community of San Antonio and all over the world. And to this end we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, one of the words when you think about God throughout the Bible from Genesis all the way to the maps, one of the words that most describes God is giving. And in this passage, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28, one of the things that Christians are, that disciples of Jesus of Nazareth are, by nature, we are givers and not takers. Proverbs 11 verse 25, a generous person will what? Prosper. Jesus himself taught, although you won't find these words in the gospel, they're quoted by Paul later in Acts chapter 20, but he's quoting Jesus. Jesus says in Acts chapter 20, it is more blessed to give than to what? Receive. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, God loves a what? Cheerful giver. In Ephesians 4, Paul connects all of this. With what it is in our work, whether we go someplace and and it, it gets a paycheck and we're serving some community need out there in the city or we're working inside of our house, there is a way to do it in such a way that we're blessing people and giving to people. And disciples are to have a very distinctive presence wherever they go to do their work. Now, with that being said, let's step out of work just for a minute. I want to talk about this, um, this phenomenon that we hear a lot about in our culture, especially in Western culture. It's the idea of storylines and narratives. Uh, Tim Keller, in a book that he's written called Every Good Endeavor, makes an interesting point about these, these narratives or these storylines. One of the things that he says to help us to make sense of what all of this conversation is about, he says this, a narrative is a storyline that helps humans make sense of the world. the the old myths, the old Aesop's fables, and those kinds of things. That's basically what he's talking about, or the the culture is talking about, but only in a more uh, contemporary fashion. Uh, Keller uses, to kind of explain how this works, he he talks about the events that surrounded uh, 9-11, September 11, 2001. He says there were a lot of narratives that people were clinging to to help make sense of what had happened in New York City. He said one narrative, and this is uh, from the spiritual or religious side, and it's not one that I think anybody here would uh, embrace, but it was one nonetheless that was associated with religious people. It was, this is God's judgment on the sinfulness of our nation. Another one that was um, another narrative that was maybe a little bit more to the left politically speaking, this is the result of America's imperial power in the world. Uh, Another one, and this was more politically to the right, said this, there are a lot of evil people in the world who are jealous of our freedoms and will strike out in a lot of hate and they will infect us with their violence. Now the point of these these narratives as he talks about them is that how you thought about and how you reacted to the the events of 9-11 depended in large part to which narrative you subscribed to. Now the question we want to ask about all this narrative stuff is this. What if your narrative is wrong? What if you have the wrong storyline out of which to view and to make sense out of the events that are taking place not only in our country but even closer to home in your own life and in your own workplace, in your own home, in your own relationships? If you get the story of the world wrong, then you get your place in it wrong. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about Dallas Willard and this illustration he uses of, of, of folks are a lot of times in Western culture like farmers who don't believe in weeds and in bugs but they really believe in fertilizer. So they fertilize, 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 fertilize and in the end what they get are bigger weeds and bigger bugs. Now as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, as people who profess that the highest the highest, ultimate, supreme value in the universe is God, the storyline for a disciple of Jesus is the gospel. That's how we view the world. And the storyline of the gospel can be broken down into three parts. I mean, we can make it as complex and, 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 and tangle it up as much as we want, but we're going to break it down into three points. The first one is this. God created a world that was very good. Part of our narrative, part of our storyline, which is the gospel for disciples, is that we believe that there is a God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God saw all that He had made, and it was, say it together, good. We believe that the world has a creator. We believe that He created it to be good. That the world now is not as it was. That the world is thus, and thus have we made it. Which leads to the second part. And that is, not only did God create a world that was good, but the world became a fallen place. And you know the story of Genesis 3. Sin entered into the world. You have the serpent, you have Eve, you have the fruit that was forbidden, you have the eating of it and the blaming. And kind of a summary statement of what's happening in Genesis 3. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all people because all what? Sinned. Now, you can come to an understanding of sin from a couple of of different directions. You can define it as rebellion towards God's will, which it is. To sin is to be outside of His will. But it's also that which is the cause of death. Because we have all sinned, death comes to all people. It's also about a separation from God or the loss of relationship with God. But at the very center of sin, one of the very big ones in considering how sin affects us is this. At the center of being lost is not where you're going as much as it's who you are. But it wasn't only human beings that became corrupt and decided to live outside of the will of God. In verse 17 of Genesis 3, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce what? Thorns and thistles. Thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. But the final point and the most important, number three, everything will be redeemed. Everything will be redeemed. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 24, the creation, see he's talking about creation now, that was cursed, was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, and brought into the freedom of, uh, and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, but not only so, but... Not just creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We know that God created the heavens and the earth. We also know that sin entered the world, but we also know that God did not kick us to the curb, nor did He kick creation to the curb, but He sent His only begotten Son for us to be redeemed and not just saved, but saved unto himself. And not only unto himself, but to become the people we were always intended to be. The gospel implants in our hearts the anticipation that reality as it is will change back one day into what it was always supposed to be. That as Isaiah thunders in Isaiah chapter 11, that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. So the question is this, if we believe that the world was sinless and then became sinful and then it was redeemed, or that the world was good and then it became sinful and became bad and one day it will be perfect, how does that affect us as disciples of Jesus with that kind of of narrative that we take into every nook and cranny of our life, how does that affect us specifically in our places of work? A bunch. I'll give you three. The first is the gospel keeps work from harming you with idolatry. The gospel keeps work from harming you with idolatry. Now, we talk all the time, don't we? This idol talk and work. It's talked a lot uh, among uh, uh, Christians how power and control, money, uh, acclaim, achievement, that can become the place that we we put all of our our eggs. That's the basket that we put all of our eggs into. But the funny thing is, is that at some point you get to a point where you realize that that's not the whole shooting match. Uh, Elizabeth Murdoch, the brother of or excuse me, the sister of James Murdoch, you know, in seeing some of the ways that money has kind of corrupted their family and the the poor uses of it, she says, "Profit without purpose is a recipe for what? Disaster." But work can become an idol for those who wield no power, right? It can become an idol for those who don't have any control, they don't have any power or they don't make a lot of money. Work can become an idol. Trivia question. Where is the first mention of sweat in the Bible? Genesis 3, right? Right in the middle of of that oracle, in the middle of Genesis chapter, chapter 3. Genesis 3, after the fall, sin has entered into the world. By the sweat of your brow, are you going to bring forth your food? That sweat is a reminder to be careful that we do not come to trust what we can do with these two hands more so than trusting God. In Psalm 24, David says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's what we believe as disciples. And all who live in it For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in and what? Say it louder. Idle. You know, I was born a guy that likes trucks. I'm a Ford man. Not just a truck guy, but a Ford man. Always have been, always will be and you know what happens and it's not just if you're a truck guy you may be a car guy or whatever but you buy that vehicle you buy the truck you make some payments and in the end you pay it off and the state gives you a title and that title means the first time you open it up you know what it means it means no more payments and that is a glorious thing but you know what else it means It means that truck belongs to you. You have the title to that truck. And having the title to that truck means that no one can lay claim to have power over that truck, just you. Nobody can commandeer that truck for their own purposes, whether they're good or bad. The title says that you own the truck or I own the truck. And having the title means that that truck belongs to you. Do you know what God wants the title to your heart. He wants to have the title to your heart. And you know how this goes sometimes, right? I mean, we're sitting down at the dinner table or we're sitting down in one of those special moments with family, with the spouse, and we say things like, you know, family's numero uno with me, or my marriage is is number one, or the most important thing to me is, you, you know, Uh, uh, my my faith but the bottom line is that something else has the title to your heart and for a lot of us we struggle with work getting that title and filling that God shaped hole in our hearts but having that gospel narrative that gospel storyline as the filter in which you see all of life will keep work from harming you with idolatry but then number two, the gospel frees you up to honor God with your work. Let me give you a couple of quotes. First one from Mark Twain. Work is a necessary evil to be avoided at all costs. <laughs> That's right, what? C.S. <laughs> Lewis, and we like C.S. Lewis around here. Happy work is best done by the man who takes his long-term plan somewhat lightly and works from moment to moment as to the Lord. Think about the ways that you honor God at work. Your skills and whatever wealth you might uh, accumulate because of that are to be seen against the backdrop of humility and not pride. We recognize that all that we have, we've received it from God. Here's David who who basically is the richest man in in, in the Mediterranean world. And, and towards the end of his life, he decides, you know, I'm living in this house of cedar, and God is having to live in this tent. Why don't I build him the most beautiful palace? And you know the story, God comes to him and says, you know, I never asked to live anywhere except in people's hearts, but I get the whole idea of needing a temple and a place that people can recognize and come to, and it's, 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 it's visceral and it's tangible. But you're not the one that's going to build it because you're a warrior and you're a man with blood on your hands. But your son will do it, whose name in Hebrew, Shlomo, we say it as Solomon is a man of peace. And, and this, this, this temple is going to be built and one of the reasons that it's going to be built is because David massively gives to it. He gives all of the gold, all of the silver, he gives all of these jewels and he basically he basically says, "I am lowering my standard of living in order for God to be praised and God to be recognized. I want all of this wealth and all of these goods that I have been blessed with not to make me somebody, but to make God seen. I want my wealth to be a pathway for people for in, in inside of their hearts God can become beloved." He wants to build a a temple. He wants to build a building that when people walk up to it, it's not like they're going to Order Up or the Sonic or the Chester's. But it's like walking up to the Grand Canyon and going, you know what? I'm a human being and I, I thought I was something, but I look at this canyon and I'm nothing. I am so small. That's what David is wanting to do. And at the end of 1 Chronicles chapter 29, there's this prayer that he prays after all of the leaders and all the people got excited and they began to just dump their treasuries and, and dump the national gross product of Israel into glorifying God. And in the end he says, God, you're powerful and you're strong and you're majestic and you're beautiful and who am I that I should be able to give this way because it came from you anyway. Everything I have Everything I have, you've given to me. And that's a pretty rare perspective when you think about the world that we live in. But our our skills and the wealth are to be seen against the backdrop of humility the humility that says, I recognize God above and over everything. Uh, Number two, we bring honesty to the workplace. Has anybody here ever been cheated? All of us. Proverbs eleven, verse one, the Lord detests dishonest scales. But accurate weights find favor with him. I know of a of a of a CFO with a company that when he first came on, uh, all of his uh financial guys came running up to him and said, I, I hate to drop this on you, your first week. Uh, of work here and employment here but we have made a huge blunder we're going to lose a lot of money because we messed up on on the estimates and what it's going to cost and so on and so forth and what do we do to keep us from losing all this money and this particular guy said well did we sign a contract they said yes did we give them our word yes did we shake hands yes then we take the loss because if you don't have your word you have nothing. If you don't have a word that's trustworthy, then you're not speaking truthfully to your neighbor, which means that you're messing up in two areas as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. Number, number three, we bless people with our wages. We bless people with our wages. God, As a disciple of Jesus, God blesses us with himself. And the wages are a way that reflect that blessing of God to us in the way that we bless other people with it. A fourth one is we help other people to grow and succeed in their work. We mentor people. We help bring the best out of them. We, we change the work environment by the, by the very persona that we bring into the workplace. And then finally, we do good work. We work as unto the Lord. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what is God doing? He's working. And everything that God works and creates, what does he say? It is good. Can you imagine a disciple of Jesus who says, you know what, if you look at me, you see the Christ. If you look at me, you see the blessing of Jesus. You see the blessing of God. You see salvation, forgiveness, relationship with the possessor of the heavens and the earth. But you know what? Don't sit in that chair. It might fall apart. I made it. We work like God, creating the good. And then finally, honoring God at the workplace makes the workplace a mission field. If you're taking God in your heart to your workplace, and you're honoring God with your work, then the workplace becomes a mission field. And John 17 my prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one they are not sent they, they are not of the world even as I'm not of it sanctify them by the word your word is truth as you sent me into the world i have sent them into the world your workplace is a mission field it's not a place for you to to put Uh, all of your Christian faith, the the details of your doctrine into a private domain that nobody can see. It's about representing the Messiah as his ambassador wherever you may go in the world, including the workplace. I've told you the story before that Landon Saunders tells about uh, a sister in Christ in Arizona some years ago. She was up for a promotion at work, and she was well qualified for it. And there was another woman in her office that was also up for it, not quite as qualified and they started the interviewing process. They were looking at resumes. They were interviewing and uh, talking with, with both of these ladies. And, you know, the, the sister in Christ was being very honest about her answers. Uh, the, 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 the other woman what, was not. And not only that, she threw the, our sister in Christ under the bus a couple of times with her work, you know, things she was saying that were not true. And what made it even worse than that is that our sister in Christ knew that this other woman was talking about her this way and that she probably was not going to get the job. And she didn't. And she didn't. And the uh, job uh, filling was announced and our sister in Christ did not receive the, the position. But instead of, of raising havoc about wasn't fair she went down to the uh, the flower store and bought a bouquet of flowers and put it on the desk with a simple note that said, Congratulations, I'm here to help you where I can. You can call on me. And this other woman came into the office after having received the job, walked into her desk, saw the flowers in the note, picked them up, stormed over to our sister's desk, threw them down, and just, you know, vibrating with anger and rage and shame. And after a minute or so, she just started weeping. Our sister got up from her desk, walked over, put her arm around her pattern, said, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And befriended her and invited her to her house and invited her to a meal and invited her to know her family. And now in that company, there are two sisters in Christ that are representing the king. Your workplace is about God. Because God created work. And we do it in ways where we love God, and we love people, and we change the world. Can you say amen to that? Brandon, who's done a, a great job leading singing this morning, first time on a Sunday morning. We're really grateful for his work. Yeah, if you want to recognize him. Thank you, Brandon. He's going to lead us in a song right now, and there might be some ways that we can minister to you. Maybe the workplace is a place that we need to join with you in prayer and and pray about the kind of light, the kind of influence, the kind of encouragement, the kind of person, the representation of Christ that you bring to the workplace. Uh, It may be that right now you've made a decision... More than anything else in the world, what you want to become is a disciple of Jesus. It it is about being saved. It is about not going to hell. But it is about not being the person that you are right now. But becoming the person that God always intended and created for you to be. That is a person of love and of joy and peace and all of that stuff that Paul writes about in Galatians chapter 5. That's who you were intended to be, representing the king wherever you go. And we have some shepherds down here that will talk to you about how that gets done biblically and according to to Scripture this very day. But for whatever reason we might minister to you this morning, our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. We want you to, to come forward during the singing of this song. Let's stand and let's praise God together.